So listen, man. Huh? You know, I, I brought this up on the last episode, and okay. I, you know, I, I completely butchered it, and I just, I, I like, I owe it to myself. I owe it to listeners to kind of. Most of all, you owe it to me. <laughs> well, that's that's to be seen, but okay. Uh, I just want to rectify this story because it really is a fascinating story, and I think you know it'll give some some clarity to what I was talking about. Okay, and our topic today. So. It centers around a former government operative who's renowned for his stealth. His name is Jack Cole. Uh, he is now a Los Angeles police detective. When a series of horrible murders occur in the metro area, Cole is assigned to the case, along with tough-talking fellow cop Jim Campbell. Although the two men clash, they gradually become effective partners as they uncover a conspiracy linked to the killings. Which also involve terrorism and organized crime. Hmm. And you may be asking, what, why is he called the Glimmer Man? Well, Jack Cole was once a central intelligence agency, that's the CIA, and he was known as the Glimmer Man because he could move so quickly and quietly through the jungle that the victims would only see a glimmer before they died. Wait so, a minute. Steven Seagal is the Glimmer Man. Howdy, folks, and welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, manga, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and trying to raise our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. We are your hosts, Woody Brown and Tyler Bentz. What's up, man? Hey, pal. Now, by the time the listeners hear that intro, it's going to sound flawless. But I got to be honest here and say that it it took me a couple of tries to get through it. And I don't know what the deal is. Maybe it's the cooler air this week in, in, in Georgia. What? Maybe it's the, the respite that we've had uh, from, the, you from the heat. What are talking about? It was 60. Well, oh, yeah. Okay. If you sleep until noon. No, I do not sleep Then until you noon. wouldn't be able to know. But whenever I woke up and went for my little sunrise run, mm. it was 64 degrees outside, my friend. Okay, let Woody it clarify. Incredible. Yeah, what he's talking about is when it's still dark outside. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to wear a headlamp and everything. <laughs> Jesus. Although, you know what's funny? This is this is the, the juxtaposition... Uh, which is mm. one of my favorite words. It's a great but one. This is the juxtaposition that you'll see between... Messed it up the second time. <laughs> this is the juxtaposition between two of your favorite hosts. So you have yep. Woody, who gets up just completely needlessly and pointlessly. He gets up before the sun's <laughs> up with a headlamp. So much so that he has to yeah. wear a headlamp to see. Correct. Me, on the other hand, my day is so jam-packed with work... So jammed packed with activities. But, but rewind oh, back. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Rewind back to when you when you said it was needless. That's the reason why I get up at the crack of dawn because my day is also jam packed, and so I have to fit that time in somewhere. And the reason is because I want to be healthy. Man. Okay. Well, see, here's the thing. I have I have one of two th reasons that I believe that you do this. Clear. You have one or two reasons why you don't go outside. Clear skin. <laughs> Translucent and skin. Go ahead. Go uh, ahead. Which actually kind of ties into the episode, but 
Mm, I think, well, number one, and it's something that I, and I'm sure the longtime listeners know now, you're a total narcissist. And so <laughs> just <laughs> saying, not true. listen, man, mm-hmm. for somebody who has had thigh implants. I'm not putting you it in. You had your ears pinned. It's so, dude, nobody, no, well, I say nobody. Didn't you have that it. Michael Jackson surgery it. where it's like the opposite, where you stay kind of tan? No, all year round. but if we're going to get into it, then we're going to have to talk about how you, it's not really like, like they didn't like cut it off on you, but they sort of like, <laughs> it's kind of like they poked it back in <laughs> to make it different. It's, it's an any. Okay. Anyway. Anyway, listen, so you get up with a headlamp to do your running. Yeah. I was out last night after I put my daughters to, to bed and they're kind of spoiled, like. They, like, beg for me to, like, lay with them every night. And then they, all they want to mm-hmm. do is just, like, talk. So it takes a long time. Yeah. Me, I have an electric, which I'm kind of against electric stuff for the most part. I think it's just kind of silly. But I do have a battery-powered lawnmower, weed eater, blower, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. is stealthily quiet. You would almost That's say awesome. it's, like, like a like glimmer man quiet. Mm. It, ha- it has a light on it. And... I cut my whole grass and we did it after dark last night, which you had already, by that time, you had already been asleep for Oh, for hours. hours. Yeah. Dude, I get real tired around 8.30. Now, listen, dude. 6.30. Ever since last week's episode, though, for real, let's get on track okay. here. Okay. Let's give them what they came for. All right. Ever since last week, and it's so funny because if you really think about it, it was kind of like uh, an afterthought, really kind of just something at the tail end of the show that you talked about. Mm-hmm. And ever since that, though, I have not been able to to kind of take my mind off of this week's topic. Now, are you talking about the 1996 classic? I'm not talking about one of Steven Seagal's greatest. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about The Glimmer Man. Mm-hmm. And I know we usually say like, well, I say we. I think Tyler might have said it like three or four times I'm last sure week. I really want to do a long, a full episode about oh, this. Yeah. And what ends up happening is we get distracted as we do. Yeah. And we just like a year later we might be like, hey, we're finally doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been so kind of, I don't want to say obsessed, but just sort of focused on this topic that we kind of decided, you know what? No. We're doing it this week. Yeah. And to be honest, that doesn't happen very often. So no. Consider yourselves lucky. I was kidding at the top of the show. And I really was you know, kind of trying to trick Woody. I knew he would eventually catch on, like, probably midway through, but... Well, there's not a whole lot of people that, like, uh, describe themselves as tough-talking. <laughs> That's when I was like, well, now what is he talking about? Now, the government agent thing, like, at first I thought, oh, okay, whoa, I didn't know this part. I didn't read about that. It, it, yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's kind of like that Camellia thing that I was talking about last episode, too. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, it is worth noting that Steven Seagal did, in fact, have a movie... That came out in 96 called The Glimmer Man. But mm-hmm. what I'm wanting to talk about is a story that I completely butchered on the last episode. And, well, before I get into this, do you want to just sort of give a breakdown of, of what we're talking about today, what The Glimmer Man is? I want you to, yeah. Okay, so that <laughs> just backfired. Um, <laughs> the, the Glimmer Man is looked at sort of in the in the realm of like the paranormal or um, I mean maybe even it, it would be a 
something akin to like a type of cryptid, maybe even, where basically through all these years, and and this kind of phenomenon kind of, I mean, surprisingly actually, goes back pretty far. I've seen like the 50s, but oddly enough, I think once the movie The Predator came out, which we all know and love mm-hmm. around here at uh, Midnight Radio Studios, 80s classic. But when the Predator goes into its, you know, cloaking mode, uh, where it kind of turns invisible, but it's not completely invisible, it looks sort of watery, sort of like smoky sort of kind of thing. It diffuses anything behind it, you know, but it's mm-hmm. it's kind of creating this weird glimmery, kind of shimmery kind of thing. And... Honestly, I think I think once that movie came out, it gave a lot of people a, a reference point. It gave them a baseline right. or something that they can say, hey, do you remember that thing that I saw back in, you know, 76 about the blah, 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 blah? Yeah, it looked exactly like this. And so a lot of times you'll hear it called, like they'll refer to it as like the Predator or, you know, the Glimmer Man or, you know, these just sort of like, invisible or like cloaking they're like whatever these things are they're able to like cloak themselves to appear you know sort of semi-invisible slash opaque right that is the glimmer man yeah and it's one of those things that it is kind of hard to well initially whenever i first heard about this i thought to myself well it is often and we've talked about this in other cases and in other episodes where sometimes our own sort of experience, our life experience, mm-hmm. kind of molds whatever it is, our perception. Oh, yeah. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And so I thought, well, maybe these folks, my immediate sort of question was, I wonder if there are any sort of accounts, uh, experiences that are documented through time that kind of share similarities to, quote unquote, the predator mm-hmm. that existed far before the movie. And I mean... Spoiler alert, the good news is, the answer is yes. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited to to kind of dive into this. Yeah, okay. So I, I do want to start off sort of like what I said at the beginning, which I was completely kidding, but like the OG, right? The original? Yeah, well, I don't, it's not. Or the one that at least got it kind of like more sort of well, familiarized, you know, people getting familiarized with this concept. Right? Yes, which I think that this story first appeared on Coast to Coast with George Nori, which, you know, obviously, he's no Art Bell. Let's not kid ourselves. But Coast to Coast AM, which was Art Bell's old show, I believe it appeared there. And then that's where it started, you know, becoming a thing, which oddly enough, it's still actually kind, it was kind of hard to find. I was really surprised mm. by that. And, and this is like the preliminary report. Apparently. But anyway, here's the story. It was Wednesday, September 29th, the next to the last day in September, and hunting season for deer in Ohio was just four days old. The day started cool and damp, then became a beautiful warm day with a nice sunset. Jan was anxious to begin hunting. Her method of hunting consisted of waiting and watching while seated in a tree stand. The seat of her stand is at the top of a 15-foot ladder. Her seat is in the northwestern corner of a many-acre wood 
that is surrounded by large planted fields and, and low-density residential areas. Her seat faces the east and is surrounded by trees on all sides. She didn't hunt in the morning, but she did climb up the 15-foot tree to the seat to test the newly installed bow hanger. She took a picture of the bow hanging from the bow hanger. I guess, you know, that's where you set your, your bow so it doesn't fall out. She took the picture and other pictures with her BlackBerry Pearl Model 8130 camera phone, which is kind of a classic. I never had a BlackBerry. Did you? Uh, just for like a month. They always just seem yeah, so... mine was like kind of late. It later model. It was like when we were on tour, really honestly, in between. It's like after the first oh, generation of iPhone came out. Do you remember? I'd like email everybody from that thing. Just thought it was so cool. <laughs> keyboard style. So many buttons. The phone records the date and time of each picture, the spatial resolution, number of pixels horizontally and vertical, and the total byte size of each picture file. Jan had a strange experience, though, while in the trees in the late afternoon and evening. She went to her tree stand at about 5.30 and sat. A squirrel was dropping nut pieces on her head, and animals, birds, and crickets were moving and making noise. To occupy her time, she was texting with her phone. At about 6.21 p.m., she decided to photograph herself in the tree stand. She was facing east with the sun at her back. She held the camera above and to her left side. That's what we call a selfie. The sun was behind her, low in the west, with light filtering through the tree branches. She took the first photo with the camera a bit above her head and to her left so she could get a photo looking down past her to the ground. She then decided to take a second. She took the second photo and didn't like it, so she deleted it. And I know this seems mundane, but you'll see in a minute why. Suddenly, the woods went completely quiet. All noises stopped. The silence was weird. It so surprised and unnerved her that she wrote a text message to her friend documenting the event. Something is wrong. The woods just went to a dead silence. No squirrels, no birds, no crickets. It's really odd. And that was at 6.23 p.m. She thought a coyote or maybe a black panther or some predator animal caused the quiet, as she knows, as hunters know, that when a predator, such as a bear, for example, enters an area, the other animals tend to become quiet. She then became aware that a weird visual effect was moving rightward across her field of view at an apparent distance of maybe 15 to 20 feet. She described it as if looking through saran wrap. Perhaps a more apt comparison would be like looking at a mirage above a hot road. She compared the distortion of the scene as being somewhat like the effect of the invisible creature in the Predator movie. The distortion was at a higher altitude than her 15 feet above the ground, perhaps about 25 feet above the ground. She took her glasses off and rubbed her right eye, thinking at first she had a floater or a moat in her eye, but after rubbing it, it was still there and not a floater. It moved to her right from about 15 degrees to the right of straight ahead to about 45 degrees to the right. Then it disappeared. Things looked normal and she could hear the normal sounds again. So what she's talking about is that that sound, uh, you know, that silence, uh, which mm -hmm. oftentimes uh, is something that experiencers will recognize with like Bigfoot sightings is, and then we call it the Oz effect, where all sounds of the forest just completely die down. And it's almost like, you know, you think of it as like all of these animals 
know like, oh, something's something much higher is is stepping into our our ecosystem. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I've actually experienced yeah. that, which makes it even scarier. Yep, I have too. It's really scary. But yeah. As she recalls it, she held the camera in her right hand, about a foot and a half from her face, so that the scene in the viewing screen would be in focus for her eyes, pointing the camera in the direction of the distortion and took a picture. As she recalls, the picture was taken immediately after the distortion disappeared. The picture should show the nearby trees. That's not what the picture shows. A minute or so later, she would take two more pictures of herself. After sitting for an hour and a half more, she left the tree stand at about 7.45 p.m. and came to dinner with our guest for the evening. She didn't think to mention her strange experience. After dinner cleanup and a movie, the guests were about to leave when I checked my Facebook messages and saw one from Jan's nephew, a high school student. There was a sighting by a number of students and faculty at the high school during band practice just before dark. The high school is about a mile northwest of the tree stand, he wrote. We were playing tonight on the field, and just as it was starting to get dark, a huge bright light appears over the field and begins to move sideways. Then, in a matter of five seconds or so, it disappeared, getting smaller almost every second. About five minutes later, it reappeared. This time it was amber in color. I know of four people who saw this, and according to an upperclassman, the same thing happened last year, and they actually stopped rehearsal. Mm. I asked him what time this was, and he responded 7.50 to 8 p.m., or about an hour and a half after Jan's phenomenon. Whether or not this high school sighting was connected with what Jan saw, the fact that it had an immediate effect on her when I mentioned this to Jan and other guests at the house, she suddenly realized that she hadn't told anyone of her own experience or even thought of it, which, as we've talked about, that's another, that's another thing that happens. Uh, she then describes in considerable detail what she recalled about the forest going silent and then the appearance of the moving distortion. Later on, in further discussion, she recalled that she had actually emailed a brief description of the forest going silent to her friend. She also recalled that her ending phrase, is odd, was an oblique reference to the moving distortion. But she did not describe the distortion effect to her friend because she knew it would take a lot of text to fully explain what she had seen. Instead, she felt she should stop texting and return her concentration to hunting. During a further discussion the following day, she recalled that she had taken the strange picture in the direction of the distortion after it seemed to have disappeared. The sudden silence in the forest was strange, but nothing compared to the strangeness of the optical distortion that moved through the trees. Whatever that was, it appears to have left its imprint in the photo Jan took. Below, or, uh, you know, in the picture, after they brightened it a little bit, uh, you can see the distortion move from left to right near the top of the picture. So here's an analysis of the photograph that she took. Uh, and we'll post it like in the show notes and, and in the post. They, I guess, would go back and photograph the exact same scene of where she would have been under normal conditions the next day. You know, and they do like a comparison as anyone can see, the distortion photo should show trees and foliage in the forest at distances from about 10 feet to about 50 feet and beyond. The tree images should be sharply focused as they are in the preceding and following photos of herself. There is just no way that the normal operation of the camera under normal optical conditions of the scene 
could result in the distortion picture. So let me take a break real quick right here because okay. her husband, oh, yeah. and I knew this, I could not think of the name to save my life, and this is part of the reason I wanted to like really clarify on this story. Her husband is no other than the legendary Bruce McAvee. And you may know that name. He's an American optical physicist. Uh, he's been employed by the Navy. He worked in the Naval Ordnance Laboratory in White Oak, Silver Spring, Maryland. Later became the Naval Service Warfare Center, Dahlgren Division. He works in optical data processing and generation of underwater sound with lasers and various aspects of strategic defense initiative and ballistic missile defense using high-powered lasers. So this guy's like, I mean, he's kind of a genius when it comes to mm-hmm. this sort of thing. You know, he's he's like really renowned, but he's also, which is cool for us, he's also a big fan of of ufology. And so mm-hmm. he lends those talents in a lot of these cases, like the Gulf Breeze incident. Mm-hmm. He also, which I didn't realize this, he worked with Jacques Vallée, who is us as the, our show. He's one of our all-time favorites in examining the disc photo above Lago de Coda, taken by the government mapping plane in Costa Rica. So he's, hmm. you know, he's like a, a legit guy. So if you, if you wanted somebody on your team who knew how to break down like photography and anything related to like optics and that kind of thing, it would be him. Yeah, it's cool because he, I, I think if no one knew who he was, it would seemingly be perceived as he is some sort of like super smart skeptic. But instead, right. he does investigate these things. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a member of the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon yep. back in the 60s. Yep. MUFON, which we've talked about here, which stands for Mutual UFO Network, yep. in the 70s. And so he has gone on so many of these famous cases, mm-hmm. the Gulf Breeze UFO incident, like you mentioned. You can hear more about that. Here. Hear more about this on That Would Be Rad, Season 3, Episode 20, The Gulf Breeze UFO Incident. He, and But he's also not just somebody that just says, oh yeah, this is real. You know, he kind of deemed one of the cases I think that he deemed as a hoax was back in 91, something about a video in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And so he, he's actually kind of neat to see that. Several of these cases he's, I don't want to say debunked, but he's, you know, basically said, hey, this, this, this doesn't really line up with with what right. I know. And so, but it's cool because, you know, you have... And so this is his wife that experienced this. Exactly. Which, again, brings him back to the thing. Are we putting ourselves in danger because we're talking about such things? Because did she have this experience because Ooh. he studied this type of stuff? I and mean, I like and that. And it was just like a creature or, a, you know, a government uh, agent that is using this technology to sneak up on him. Which, by the way, side note, and I'm not driving away from the dock, but I've been talking to my buddy, Joshua Cutchen, who, by the way, has a new book out. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more at the end, but, and no, this is not a paid thing, but I reached out to him because <laughs> <laughs> he's he's such a wealth of knowledge, and usually it's like a wealth of knowledge. I, like, I consider myself to know a lot about this stuff and to know, like, the weird, high strangeness, sort of fringy aspects of it, you know, that sometimes mm-hmm. gets missed, but... He he's like far, far, far beyond my level of, you know, retention and knowledge on on a lot of the stuff. And so I reached out to him about something that I talked about in the last episode. And my daughter and I were in my studio 
and it sounded like a massive like balloon pop behind my head. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too much into it, but it is pretty interesting and it is pretty common in like poltergeist type things, which Yikes. don't love that. But uh, that's we'll probably uh, we'll get into that more on the uh, in the rabbit trail. On the next Patreon. Okay, shows. on the Patreon. Um, okay. But anyway. Hey, quick question. Okay, go ahead. Sir. Are you going to go further into this lady or is it about, t- can I like be like. No, no, no. It goes talk. it goes into like the the camera stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's good because we did just like break down like who's. Do, who's just remember, we have a lot of accounts here. Yeah, yeah, I know. But a lot of mine are like pretty short and sort of anecdotal. But so in this photo that she took, there's just no way that the normal operation of the camera under normal optical conditions of the scene could result in the distortion that was gathered in this picture. There are two other anomalies. First, first, all the other pictures were taken at a spatial resolution of 1024 pixels horizontal by 768 pixels vertical. Yet the single picture was taken at 528 by 400. Second, the other pictures had a bite size of 43.2 kilobytes whereas the size of this picture was 200. Consider first the resolution. The camera has three settings for spatial resolution, large, which corresponds by 1600 by 1200, medium, which corresponds by 1024 by 768, and small, which corresponds to 640 by 480, which is the standard sort of television resolution. However, the spatial resolution of the anomalous picture as recorded by the phone, was twenty-eight was five twenty-eight by four hundred. This is a completely abnormal spatial resolution. Jan did not try to change the resolution. She didn't even know how until this investigation determined how it is done with a camera. But even if she had tried, she couldn't have set the camera for five twenty-eight by four hundred. So how did the camera get set to this completely unusual resolution? And again, this is coming from an optical physicist. Mm. With regard to the image size, note, and I know this is boring, I'm sorry, but I, I think it's fascinating though. With regard to the image size, note that the total image size in bytes is typically 200 kilobytes or more for pictures at the medium resolution. However, the anomalous photo has a much smaller bite size, and this isn't just a result of the lower spatial resolution. The difference in the bite size ratio must be a result of a reduced number of brightness levels in the brightness scale of the anomalous photo and considerably less than the same scale for any normal picture. The photo processing program shows about 27,000 color levels for the normal pictures, but 100,000 for the anomalous photo. Hmm. That's, it, that's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it's basically changed your 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 complete ratio. So that would be like if you're watching a movie and then all of a sudden, you know, a a frame of film completely shifts ratio and then goes back. Weird. Which I don't even I mean he says that like I guess you can you can change those um those settings, you know, the, like manually, you know, your mm-hmm. but again, it's only in like it's only your small, medium and large. And so there's there's no possible way that you could even do that you know, to get the, this weird number ratio. So, I don't know. Here, here's another thing. Occasionally, there have been reports that suggest the presence of strong magnetic field in the vicinity of a UFO. Hence, I tested the effect on the phone of a strong Alnico bar magnet. Alnico is also used in guitar pickups. Side note. And real quick, kids, if you're listening, 
don't put a magnet Mm-mm. near my phone or a computer monitor mm-hmm. or a television. Let Bruce Maccabee do that. Y- yeah. Okay, go ahead. And if you want, actually, to create that weird, like, darkening on the side of your TV, just throw a magnet up, up beside it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he he takes this strong Alnico bar magnet. The upper part of the BlackBerry contains the viewing screen and the lower part contains the control buttons. Placing the end of the magnet at the top of the phone had little or no discernible effect on photos taken. When the magnet was moved to the lower half, the camera turned off. The screen went black and no photo could be taken. As if the magnetic field affected the electronics in the camera. When the magnet was removed, by several inches or more from the camera, the camera resumed normal operation. If the camera had been immersed in a strong magnetic field that accompanied the distortion, it would not even be able to take any picture. This suggests that if the distortion were some sort of impossible magnetic effect, which I think that's what a lot of people are saying the distortion photo is, they're like, oh, it's some weird magnetic effect of like, you know, putting a magnet or whatever. Uh, this effect was confined mm-hmm. to a small volume of space at a distance from the camera. I don't completely understand that because it's pretty, pretty like heady. But mm-hmm. yeah, so that is a full breakdown of uh, Jan Maccabee's possible encounter with the Glimmer Man. Now I know you got a little technical yeah. with that, and and not to just like sort of add to that, uh, listener. But I think this is a great time to kind of talk a little bit about. Because here's the thing, if you're listening to this and the first thing you think of is like, look, are these guys trying to tell me that there's predators out there? Yeah. And you're kind of already sort of entering this with a little bit more of sort of like a skeptical mindset. And then you had to sit through Tyler's lecture (laughs) of ratios. No, I think it's important though. Dude, I'm kidding. And I'm the person who hates this stuff. Well, see... I like this stuff. Exactly. Maybe not your telling of it, but more important. I'm just kidding. I like this stuff. And it's interesting to me because I remember years and years ago sort of seeing, uh, and I think this is like, man, it might be around this time period. Mm. Well, I mean, when did this, when did this occur? When did her? This was, I think, 2010. Yeah, see, this is, dude, this is perfect, man. This was around. Yeah, 2010, September 29th. 2010 post touring and all that stuff. I remember this being around that time period because I was reading a story about this, not her situation, but just about cloaking technology mm-hmm. on my old crappy computer that my wife melted because she downloaded Snoop. Oh, yeah, classic. Okay. So I think now is a good time to kind of talk about the reality. Mm-hmm. Again, sometimes I like the, here's that word again, juxtaposition nice. of removing sort of the fantastical and, and uh, you know, cryptid or um, otherworldly creature possibility from it for just a second. Mm-hmm. And just let's talk about the, the, like the real stuff that exists currently. Yeah. And I found a couple articles actually. Some of them are kind of older, but one of them, I mean, is just as recent as just a few months ago. And the title of this article is Invisibility Cloaks Are Not Just Possible, But Are Becoming Reality. They talk about nanotechnology and metal lenses and metamaterials that essentially what they do, the way the technology works, and I'm going to really kind of simplify it for my benefit, Mm -hmm. not just yours. I know there's plenty of folks that listen to the show who are far more versed in 
this world of physics than than I am. But essentially, the way it kind of works is it takes it, it basically bends light around an object, making it seem like whatever object is behind it isn't there. And they've got this really great uh, photo. There's a it's like hyperstealth biotechnology is what they call mm-hmm. it, and basically it uses like a meta lens. And if it's successful in the application, it extends this visible light portion of the spectrum, enabling the first true invisibility cloak. And we're talking about stuff that is like really, well, it's been a part of science fiction for I don't even know how long, right? And the cool thing is when you see these pictures of how it all works, how it all works, Basil, Mm. and when you can see the actual science behind the wavelengths of light. This article says, in fact, the closest we've come to achieving actual invisibility has been through the development of stealth technology, which only bestows effective invisibility at far longer wavelengths than human eyes can perceive. And they talk about microwave and radio wavelengths and uh, electromagnetism and stuff. But this picture, man, is just this young lady in just regular sort of camouflage. Mm -hmm. And she's holding this... Uh, imagine like the size of a poster board, just like uh, in front of her upper body. Oh, I know what you're talking There's, about. She's standing in front of a tree mm-hmm. and it's just like, and she's got her head so you can still see it. And it's like, if you were just kind of peering or looking past and she had her head covered by this thing, yeah, I don't think you would be able to catch it until you saw that little bit of a glimmer or if it was moving or something, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone has kind of seen the older sort of photo of of the person wearing, it almost looks like a track jacket. Do you know what I'm talking about? And they're just standing in the road. This is back in, I think, 2003, man. It was at Tokyo University, engineering professor named Susumi Tachi. And I just remember this photo really well. It just looks like they're just standing there. Basically, this jacket, I think, was, I don't think, you know, it was very low tech in terms of what they're doing now. But hmm. there's also... This was updated in 2019. It says, watch a real-life invisibility cloak designed for military use. This, quote, quantum stealth material can render a tank invisible. Canada's hyper-stealth biotechnology already manufactures camouflage uniforms for militaries across the globe. But now, the company has patented a new quantum stealth material, that's what they call it, that disguises military soldiers or even its tanks, aircraft, and ships by making anything behind it seem invisible. That's the important part here, which is it's, it's, we have to remember it's not really turning something invisible. It's just kind of like bending the light around them. Yeah. And according to this a press release, it works by bending the light around a target to make it seemingly disappear. This light can be in the visible spectrum or it can be ultraviolet, infrared, or shortwave infrared light, making the material what Hyperstealth calls a broadband invisibility cloak Mm -hmm. it's really cool i mean you could even i mean not as advanced as what you're talking about but i've seen videos where like dudes are taking like weird sort of almost like plexiglass material Mm -hmm. and like you can make your own and it i mean it's pretty pretty wild the good news for those of you that already believe that the government is standing outside your house right now wearing these invisibility cloaks, just waiting to see who you vote for. Yes. The, the, the good news is there's actually, as of June 13th, 2023, a new technique that has been developed 
to detect invisibility cloaks. Now, there's a wow. couple things I want to talk about real quick. Number one, in that last article I read, a key word to me that stood out was press release. Yeah. So if this is a public, if this public information exists, mm -hmm. the fact that you can cloak a tank essentially, just imagine the stuff that we don't know about. Exactly. That's top secret. And I don't mean that in a, oh, they're trying to, I mean it in a, in a military strategy sense. Mm -hmm. Just imagine the technology that exists that we don't even have a clue about. And second to that, the fact that they have now created a technique to detect these invisibility cloaks tells me that there's a need to do so. Mm. Yeah. So when we get back from the break, let's dive into some of these crazy stories that have existed far before the Predator movie and then even more recent. Mm. After these messages, we'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, this is Bryce Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club, and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on That Would Be Rad, because that is rad. Okay, so before we get into any of those, I, I just, I had to say this because it's something that's... If you talk about ratios again, man, I'm turning it off. <laughs> you see the 528 by 1037. <laughs> no, this, uh, everything that you were talking about is... It's kind of interesting. And again, here's a, a buzz phrase that I use all the time. But the, the topic I'm about to bring up is one that we 1,000% will cover. Actually, maybe we do this around Halloween because it's really creepy and true and tragic and a whole bunch of things, but it's fascinating. And that is the story of Elisa Lamb. Do you know what I'm talking about, Woody? Mm -hmm. It's pretty grisly. You can look into it. One of the things that was interesting is like a week before her disappearance, Elisa retweeted a Huffington Post article about a Canadian company that claimed to have developed an invisibility clo cloak, which is, mm. I'm guessing, the company that you talked about, the Quantum Light mm. or the Quantum... Yeah, I think that's it. Anyway, she she retweeted this Huffington Post article about invisibility tech. Well, what's weird, though, is after her death, someone would notice that the Cecil Hotel shares a block with a company called the Invisible Light Agency, which was a company Jesus. that worked on invisible tech, which just magically, you know, hmm. shut down and disappeared shortly after Elisa Lamb's disappearance. Or, you know, as we know, I guess murder technically. Yeah. So for for because 
let me just quick summary of who Alyssa or Lisa Lamb is because it sounded exactly like no, it sounded exactly like the lady that tried to scam you for for art. But Mm, Alana, her name was Alana Lamb, which isn't too dissimilar. But anyhow, this is that case that happened a couple years ago. I think there was like a Netflix documentary about it. Mm -hmm. This uh, young lady. There's footage from the hotel. Looks like she was kind of panicky and talking to someone that you can't see on the camera in the elevator. And then come to find out that she was in the the water tank uh, or found later in the water tank when someone noticed that their hotel water was a little weird, which is absolutely tragic and disgusting and and all that. So that's very interesting. Well, especially also if you look at it through the lens of like, okay, well— you know, when everybody sees this video, and it's kind of a classic video, I'm guessing that most of our listeners have seen it. If not, look it up immediately because it's fascinating. But it's this camera footage, and basically you see this this girl, and she's, like, looking out like she's, like, hiding or running from someone. And it looks like she's, like, talking to them, but, of course, nobody's there. So if we're looking at it through the lens of like, hmm. man, maybe it has something to do with like invisibility tech or... Well, just like we talked about in the last episode, naively, I think a lot of times, myself included, if not just me, <laughs> I tend to look at things through the, you know, what do they call that? Rose-colored lenses mm-hmm. or whatever. Like I, I, it's hard for me to kind of accept that within sort of um, the bounds of humanity that a lot of people would be using something like that. Yeah. Or a lot of people, that's judgmental. There would be even some people that would exist that would use that to do something terrible like like that. Yeah. Maybe even just like on a, like there's so many different things. And I think maybe we put this part in the Patreon, Mm -hmm. but there's so many different things with that case specifically, dude. Now, like looking at it through this lens as a possibility of what happened to this girl. Yeah. What if it was just somebody that was like, dude, let's just go like freak some people out and let's test out this, this stuff. And then on top of that, basically, maybe she had some sort of pre-existing psychological condition or do you know what I mean? And, And in fact, maybe she didn't really even need to have a, you know, predisposition to, to having a psychological break. Mm -hmm if you put yourself in that person's shoes and all of a sudden there's something that you feel like is chasing after you. Oh yeah. Well, and, dude, and, and that can get into like something called gang stalking, which is like a thing that happens. We don't really know who's doing it. A lot of people look at the government as sort of a thing. Um, but I think on the last episode I brought up uh, the book Camellio and I just wanted to clarify that also because I couldn't think of the author's name, but the book is called Camellio. It centers around the same invisible tech. It's written by a guy named Robert Guffey. He's a lecturer at the Department of English at California State University, Long Beach. You know, he's a writer, da 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 da, da. But he has this, the book, uh, his, his sort of mostly well-known book is Camellio, A Strange But True Story of Invisible Spies, Heroin Addiction, and Homeland Security. And it's really cool. I really want to try to get him on because I've heard him on a couple other podcasts, and it's really fascinating but he kind of gets into a lot of this sort of invisibility tech and uh, yeah, hmm. so. That's cool. Yeah. All right, let's dive into some of these. Yeah, so this story is a really interesting one. And again, like what we were saying, you know, pre the movie Predator, I think a lot of people, they didn't really have a way of like putting into words what they were even talking about. Although I, I will yeah. say, I think I think Bruce McAbee's wife, Jan, saying that it looked like they were 
wrapped in saran wrap. Mm. I think that's pretty clever. Uh, yeah, man. I've heard different like, sort of descriptors, like um, almost like the uh, the surface of uh, of a soap bubble. Oh, that's good. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. So this one's a little weird. Like it's not just a Glimmerman account, but I think it's it's really interesting. So this one is about a jogger from an outlying district of the Puerto Rican city of Ponce in November of 1979. Uh, his story appeared in the first issue of the island's Evidencia OVNI, which gives his name as Hector Maldonado. Although, as we know, it could just be like a pseudonym or code name, if you will. According to Maldonado, he had gone for a morning jog on the salt flats near the Caribbean shore of Ponce. It was an average Saturday morning and a routine he had followed regularly. At one point, his run brought him near the mangrove swamp found in the area. He happened upon a group of tall entities he described as standing between five and six feet tall with bald heads and slanted eyes that issued a glow from within. Rather than reflected by an external source, their skin was grayish blue, almost shark-like, and he was unsure if he was seeing their skin or clothing. One of the tall entities, which had been kneeling on the ground, intently focused on some details, rose to its full height and potential at the bemused jogger. Maldonado reportedly felt the non-human figure's voice in his head. And I heard him tell the others, as if mocking me, see how that one runs? runs? As the human had not broken stride throughout the sighting, what happened next was even stranger. The creature started to run, covering distances in seconds, as displaying its prowess before rejoining the other creatures. I could feel it in my mind when he said to them, let's take that one too. The others replied something along the lines of leave him alone, something like that. I felt panic when I heard that, and it made me run even faster because the one who had mocked me sort of smiled and I noticed he had big pointed teeth like a shark. Maldonado was spared from a possible abduction, but never resumed his recreational activities in that area and then went on to become morbidly obese. I just added that. Uh, <laughs> for many years. I didn't stop running until I got out of there. I was terrified. I said nothing to no one, afraid that I would, they wouldn't believe me. People would think I'd gone crazy, but they were also half clear, half transparent. Uh, and I couldn't take that chance, no, sir. Wow. So it's sort of a weird... And what year was this again? 1979. Boom. Yeah. And for, in case everybody's wondering, Predator didn't come out until... Oh, actually I have a very small one here that goes back to the 50s. Uh, There was a woman in France who was walking along a river in the late 50s. She felt as though a force came over her and grabbed her from behind. She could see dark colored hand phase out of nothing and grab her up her chest and drag her from behind into a thorny bush area. She started to scream. She heard a voice above say, say something. At about that time, the weather started to change immediately to thunder and rain, which hmm. that's a weird. I think we talked about this one. Um, I, I, it sounds familiar from um, either. I think Jacques Vallée, but keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt like that too. Um, no, I think this is this is from a missing 411 sort of anecdotal story. The voice said something like, well, here you go, as if he was delivering her. Then all of a sudden it stopped and she ran to a nearby farm. The farmer said he could see a large hand that had grabbed her chest. There was a red mark there that would go on to call the police and write a report. But yeah, that's about it. So 
a dude kind of just phases out of his hand, sort of phases out of nothing. And grabs boobs. And gra- I, you know, I couldn't tell if that's what they were saying or if it like. What other part of the chest you grab? Well, no, 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 no. I, I agree. <laughs> but it, but I'm not sure if she's saying that or if it like grabbed her by the chest. Yeah. And drug her behind. Kind of wrapped its arm around. Yeah, it, like uh, into a thorny bush. And then it, because immediately then after it did that, it, I mean, I guess it would have had to know because mm-hmm. immediately thunder and rain came out of nowhere. Man. Which is like a, it's kind of a fairy fae thing. Mm. Joshua Cutchin talks about this where like, you know, they ride on like the winds, uh, these like sort of fairies or these like lesser gods and stuff. So I don't know. That one can go a lot of places. But mm-hmm. but again, I think it's interesting that they're sort of seeing this like sort of phasing effect, you know? Yeah. That's, that's wild, man. Yeah. All right. This one is from... Around 2012, all right, and okay. it, basically this lady is talking about how she's had multiple contacts with the quote-unquote Glimmer Man entity at multiple locations, and now the guy that she was dating when she reported this is experiencing the same phenomenon. Here it goes. Mm. She says, I want to tell you about a series of events that have happened to me starting in 2012 and could still currently be happening. My story is what I've recently found out could be called the quote Glimmer Man. I had never heard of anyone else seeing anything like I've experienced before, and I've also never seen the movie Predator. And then parenthesis, she says, I know, lame, but I just never have. (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) My close friend Nick is obsessed with all things supernatural, and I'm obsessed with true crime, so he suggested I watch The Missing 411, The Hunted. Mm -hmm. I did and loved it. And by the end, I was pretty disturbed, though, because I had never before heard of anyone seeing something that was essentially a translucent figure before like I had. It really took me back because for years, I've thought that either I had a psychotic break or that I'm a medium and I can see ghosts. It never occurred to me that it could be something paranormal or anything like that. I told my friend Nick that I had seen a translucent being before, but that's all the detail I could admit to him. He told me I had probably seen what's called the Glimmer Man. And he sent me a podcast so that I could have my sanity validated. Mm. I've never told a single soul these stories. I've tried to block it out of my mind because I realized after the fact that it could be something sinister. And if it wasn't, then I couldn't tell anyone because I was sure they would think I was insane. Mm -hmm. This has really freaked me out for a lot of years now. I vowed I would never tell anyone, but after listening to the other stories, I really think I need to. I refer to this thing as a mask because that's the best way I could describe it. Physically, it was translucent and had no discernible edges. However, I could tell it was made of something. If you took light and got it to refract through a prism and then took a picture of it, then cut that picture into a quarter inch square and face them every single direction you can all at random that's what it looked like to me i could see the blue green and red bouncing back to my eyes but it all moved like static so i couldn't hook on to a single section or color for long this description is the same for every time i've seen it the shape and size are the only thing that changed and it was by no means smooth usually the upper half would be sort of distended but in a very rough almost rocky cliff-like shape Mm. one last thing before i start two months before the incident my roommate kylie 
accidentally drowned in the Boise River. Long story short, she passed away, and I say this because I thought that this glimmer man was her coming back as a ghost at the time. Hmm. I thought she had come back to talk to me. I wanted in my mind to believe it was her. I say that to explain why I didn't panic when I saw this thing on the first incident. I cannot explain why I was so calm on the second. So here it goes. October 2012. I had just moved to Portland, Oregon from Boise in the wake of my roommate's death. I was in my room alone at about 11 p.m. My room had a sliding glass door that connects straight from the backyard. I looked over towards the door in the corner of the room and I see a strange mass that was about four feet tall and three feet wide. Yep. I would estimate the depth to be about three feet as well. And it was completely translucent. I blinked because I had assumed it was my eyes playing tricks on me, but it was still there. I felt very calm. The figure was very obviously, obviously focused on me. It didn't have eyes, but it was almost as if the top part of it was leaned in a little closer than the rest. And if I moved around the room, it would turn in my direction. Immediately, I think, this is a ghost. It needs to tell me something. So I reached out my hand and the mass came towards me and lifted my hand. Mm. Very gently and weakly, but I did not have I did not have to use the regular amount of muscle it takes to lift my own arm. Clearly not a bodybuilder. Okay. It was clearly <laughs> lifting my arm for me. Maybe a comic I would, book artist. Yeah. Definitely a comic book artist probably has translucent skin just like Tyler. <laughs> I mean it's I, literally me. Is Tyler the glimmer man? It's me in the corner. Losing my religion. Okay, I was gonna say it. I just I waited it. for you to. <laughs> I would describe the feeling as if you took two opposite magnets and tried to force them together. Not the strength of it, but just like an invisible force that you can physically feel pushing you. It was completely even pressure where it would touch me and it could move my hand and arm if I had it relaxed. I held out my arm and asked it to tell me who it was. The mass pushed on my arm to the left and led me through my room to a group of magazine posters on the wall. Mm. Boy, the story's getting intense here. It lifted my hand up to the posters and put my hand over a picture of a band I had liked. This is a band Kylie loved as well, so I said, move my hand up if yes, and side to side if no, but are you Kylie? The mask moved my hand up. I got very emotional and cried immediately, but I held it together because I wanted to talk to her. I, went I mean, got a boy, blank. if that's just like invisibility suit, somebody in a suit, like they picked the perfect candidate to like, yeah. you know? Right. I got very emotional, cried immediately, but I held it together because I wanted to talk to her. I went and got a blank notebook and a pen and asked the mass to write to me what it wants to say while I held the pen. The mass would move my hand while I had it on the paper, but none of the drawings made any sense. So I asked it to move the pin instead. I was barely holding on to the pin. I just had it between my fingers to keep it upright. Hmm. The mask started to move the pin across the page. I realized that I couldn't be imagining things because I could literally see the pin moving by itself, even though I was still holding the bottom of it just slightly. This went on for probably two hours. Boy... <laughs> 
this lady, I mean, she's got some patience, you know? I'd be like, hey, man, these drawings don't f***ing make sense. <laughs> anyway. I mean, it's like the the best possible automatic writing session in yeah. the world. I mean, I, I joke about that, but, like, imagine if you had, like, a loved one that just passed away. Yeah, exactly. And then you were having this experience. It would be very easy to just yeah. be like, oh, I mean, just what, 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 you know? like. Well, the, and that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, if this is something, like, either, like, nefarious or, like, some sort of invisibility tech thing. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, they couldn't have picked a better candidate for, right. you know. And what are the chances of that? Now I'm starting to lean toward maybe it is just like what happens next. Okay. Mm. This went on for probably two hours. I tried and tried to get this thing to write something legible, but nothing looked like any type of letter. It was all just strange designs and shapes. Mm. I, I believe I still have this journal in my parents' storage area in Idaho. Now I plan on finding it and send pictures of it once I have and believe it or not, her next sentence says, this is where things get really nuts. So buckle up, folks. Okay. What I'm going to say next is why I've never told anyone any part of this story before. If someone told me this, boy, I hope she doesn't say it to me. If someone told... Oh, God. If, if someone told... God. Jesus. My new roommate, Alexa, came into my room to ask me who I was talking to. All of a sudden, the mass got very tiny, like the size of a mouse, and it sat in my hand. What? I told her I think Kylie is here talking to me and to watch this. I say, please move the pen for me. The pen and my hand started to move across the paper, and Alexa freaked out. She said, this is insane, and she doesn't know what's happening, but she said I need to stay away from her for the night. I was honestly too preoccupied to care about her reaction, and we didn't get along well anyway, so I just let her go. Now, like, real quick, imagine... That's hard. And I got to tell you, if I was in college, right, or just, like, before this podcast, but back whenever I was in college, if Mm -hmm. my roommate was like, hey, man, check this out, I would just be like, come on, man, you're fooling me, you know? Yeah, but if they showed you it happening, like... But if they're still touching the pin, I would have to hold the pin myself. Anyway, let's get let's get back in here. She goes to Alexa goes to bed and the mask gets really big. Skinnier than before, she says, but probably two feet taller than the start. It mm. begins pushing my hand left and leads me to the door out to my living room into my front door. I said, No, I'm not going and walk back to my room. But it just keeps putting the, this pressure on my hand to get me to go out in the living room again. I oblige because at this point I'm convinced that this is the that this is the lost soul of my close friend and nothing she could do would be dangerous. Yeah. I go outside and it leads me to my car. I must have gone back in for my keys and coat because I remember wearing a coat, but I don't remember exactly how I got it or my keys. At this point, I'm in the car and I tell the mask to move my hand left or right for turns, point, up to stop and down for forward. This is just a lot of faith that we're putting into, mm-hmm. can we just stick to like finger paints? Mm-hmm. Not like driving a vehicle. Anyway, the mass leads me out of my neighborhood and down at least a full mile to an area that is sort of industrial but also like abandoned park. I don't know how to describe it totally, and this is the only time I've ever been to this location. There were several big trees surrounding the place. It was like an open sort of park. I got out, and it was very clear that the mass was putting pressure on me to go forward. At this point, I'm going wherever it's telling me to go. Well, she left out the part, so did she have to open the door for the mass, 
or yeah, I don't know. How did that work? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't say. I kind of feel like we're being had a little bit here. It does seem pretty, it seems elaborate. Basically, she goes on to kind of talk about how it continues to to switch shapes and sizes and stuff. See, to Uh, me, that's the most fascinating part. Mm. This kind of this is almost like a a one off type thing in comparison to anything that I've read thus far. Mm-hmm. Basically, at the end of that single moment, her her sort of first initial experience, she says that at this time and for the whole time we were on our outing, the mass was about the size of a basketball. I tried one last time to communicate with it via pen and journal, but it still couldn't get anything legible. So I decided to tell it that it was time to go. I walked out back and told the mass it's time to go. If you are Kylie, then I hope you go to heaven now, but I can't do anything further, so you need to leave. The mass went about 10 to 15 feet in the air and hovered. It was big at this point, at least seven feet. And then I walked back inside and closed the sliding glass door. At this point, she had gone back to the house. I was hoping it was gone, but I saw the mass a few more times out of the corner of my eye. I chose to ignore it and just kept repeating, you need to go away. I can't do anything for you. I'm sorry. And eventually... It was gone. I didn't see it again for a long time. I never talked about it with my roommate. I had decided I must have a strange ability to talk to ghosts, but I obviously can't tell the good from the bad. So I knew that I couldn't communicate with them them if I ever saw them for my own safety. Then she describes that, like, you know, some time had passed, I think six months or so. She moved and, again... Somewhere else, I think it was like at a gas station, she she sees this vibrating, translucent, static mass. And then, you know, there were other occasions where she would like see this. And her boyfriend also potentially, you know, has had experiences. Now she's in Alaska and she says, and I'll just kind of wrap it up with this for this instance. She says, one last thing. My boyfriend has seen these so many times at her house in Alaska. And we live about four miles from a location where... Michael Lemaitre vanished on Mount Marathon in 2012 during the annual 4th of July race in the mountain. Mm. Um, It says, our town swells to over 10,000 people during this race. There are plenty of people to search, but nobody ever found uh, a trace of them. Uh, The animals all leave the area because of all the tourists, and there was no evidence of an attack. And this mountain is so close to downtown, it's impossible. It could have just been lost. I wonder if there is a connection. And that was the end of that. I mean... I mean, I see what she's saying, and like, yes, there could be like, you know, some like something connected, but at the same time, it's like, to me, that could just be any missing four one one type disappearance. You know what I mean? Right. Which, but her story there might be a connection with the missing four one one and this as well. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no. no. I one hundred percent believe that this could be attached to missing four one one. I'm just saying, like, her saying that, like, whatever this weird sort of glimmer character oh yeah i mean this is the first time that i've ever heard it sort of like moving shapes and yeah me too when we're gonna keep this train rolling and so when we get back from the break on to the next one we'll return after these messages it's a pretty cool place if you're a martian or a vampire vampire I think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? We're fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. 
In September 2002, I was living in my camper truck at the top of McNair Creek Valley near Port Mellon, British Columbia, which, man, we got to get out there. Mm. Uh, One foggy morning, I climbed up into the old growth and wandered around eating blueberries and listening, which, by the way, I know I'm like derailing myself here, but that is one of the things about missing 411 and even fairy abductions where like picking berries Mm -hmm. leads to a lot of like these disappearances. Oh boy. Yeah, I know it sounds weird. Now I can't even pick berries, bro. (laughs) We can't have nothing now. There's a blueberry bush in my neighbor's front yard Mm -hmm. and uh, the whole neighborhood like just drives their golf carts over there and picks blueberries all the time. Well, be careful, pal. Um, I climbed up into the old growth and wandered around eating blueberries and listening. I had my sturdy hiking stick, but was not even carrying any bear spray. After a few hours, I headed back to my camp. I had to walk down a steep scree field, the base of which was my front bumper. Carefully, step by step, I descended the wobbly boulders on my wobbly ankles. I stepped off the last boulder onto a flat old road surface, just in front of my truck, when I raised my eyes. I saw that some scraggly bushes six feet away were shaking and vibrating. I thought there must be some squirrels fighting in there. That is the only thing that can make the bushes vibrate like that. I stepped forward and poked my stick into the branches to separate them. Suddenly, the shaking area grew to a larger area, three feet in diameter. Then this area of violently vibrating bushes moved away from me and accelerated up a steep slope. Out of curiosity, I tried to follow it, looking into the hole it was making in the vegetation. There was nothing in the hole. The running hole in the forest displaced vegetation in the shape of a tall, bipedal, hefty creature. It went up that steep slope as fast as the fastest running man you could ever possibly see. It disappeared from my sight over the top of the slope. Wow, I thought, an invisible Sasquatch and I'd been two feet away from it. I must have poked it in the shin with my stick. It was afraid of me. I write this for other people who have experienced the predator or glimmer man. That's what we call it. From the many accounts I've read, the thing is something different from a Sasquatch. From reading my accounts, in my opinion, it is an alien with cloaking and anti-gravity technology. It watches people and it likes to run through the forest. So... My favorite thing about that story was that he or she was able to deduce mm. that there was some anti-gravity technology <laughs> just by the poke of a stick. Yeah, to me, to me, it's like your whole story is is lending itself to this being an invisible Sasquatch. And then suddenly it's like, I don't think these things are Sasquatch. I yeah, think they're they have gravity technology, boots. anti-gravity. Yeah. And not to like, I'm not making fun of this person, like that's awesome that they had that mm-hmm. story, but it's just funny that like the same mind basically looks at a, a you know a cluster of bushes that are shaking and vibrating mm-hmm. and just thinks the only thing they can do that is probably squ- squirrels fighting well no 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 he gives it a he gives it a poke he gives it a poke and then he's like <laughs> oh my god anti gravity <laughs> i knew that stuff existed. well now that part actually i can kind of vouch for that because when we went to montana this past year there are these things called colombian ground squirrels Mm-hmm. And they kind of look like our squirrels, but boy, they are so much more sort of like aggressive and not afraid of anything. Like they'll just come right up to you. And th- so many times we would see them like just in these bushes, just like fighting each other. 
Mm-hmm. So I yeah. wonder if that's no, like trust a thing. me. I mean, squirrels get crazy, but it was just the the. I guess if I was trying to trace the line of of thinking there, mm-hmm. it kind of got a little got a little wavy. But look, a lot there's a lot of these. In fact, there are there's an entire Reddit thread dedicated to Glimmerman encounters. Mm-hmm. In fact, so many of the folks kind of go on there. So many start with, "Hey guys." I just kind of wanted to see what you think of this. Is this what I'm experiencing? And so many people have kind of talked about the fact that before they discovered this thread, they just kind of thought they were crazy or maybe they just, you know, just like the the first story, you know, she thought she was going insane or maybe she could see ghosts or something. So this has been a community kind of online where people can kind of share their experiences and feel less, well, for the lack of uh, crazy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, And so I think that's pretty cool. But I, as much as I love stuff that you can find on the internet, what I love even more than that is stuff that I can find between the pages of the books that we have on our shelves here. Mm. Because that can't be, unless we're talking Mandela effect, that can't really be erased or you know removed or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can't really talk about, well, I think we may have mentioned this last time when we talked about the the strange things that happen over at Skinwalker Ranch. And so when we oh, yeah. immediately following like last week's show, I was like, man, I remember, I feel like I remember reading something about this. And of course we talked about the potential sort of connection between the missing 411 and disembodied voices and all this. And so with all these books and all this knowledge, sometimes your 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 brain kind of feels, at least for me, like scrambled eggs, and I can't remember where I read that thing. So oh, yeah. luckily, I was able to find it. And I just think this is a fascinating story and an encounter that, you know, kind of doesn't necessarily stand alone, but might help explain some of this crazy stuff that happens at Skinwalker Ranch. Hmm. And it's just fascinating. So you ready? Yeah, dude. Did that sound weird? Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. All right. Again, this is from... This is going to be on our, you know, recommended reading list. It's uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker um, by Colm Kelleher and George Knapp. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, really cool. It's the, the subtitle of the book is Science Confronts the Unexplained at, remote, at a Remote Ranch in Utah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And here's kind of where it begins. It says, The mysterious events were happening thick and fast against a backdrop of the continuing disappearance of objects both inside and outside the house. So there you go, real quick, mm-hmm. almost like poltergeist-type activity. Tom eventually found his missing post hole digger. The only trouble was he found it perched 20 feet up in a tree. Yeah. It would have taken somebody of great strength to lift a 70-pound post digger up into a tree. Mm-hmm. Mysteries deepened. By the end of June 1996... Stories and rumors had begun circulating about weird events taking place at a remote ranch in northeastern Utah. It was only a matter of time before the media got involved and the family's much-prized privacy would be history. One day, shortly afterward, as if to confirm their fears, Tom and his son Tad watched a vehicle drive slowly from the entrance gate all the way down to the homestead. As the bouncing vehicle approached, Tom could see a large, blonde-haired man at the wheel. Hiding his annoyance, Tom nodded as the stranger dismounted from the vehicle. The guy was broad-shouldered and over six feet, too. It didn't take him long to dispose of the pleasantries. The stranger explained that he had learned about the bizarre events on the property 
quote, on the grapevine, and had driven a long distance to visit. Tom interrupted to reiterate that this was private property and that neither he nor his family were interested in developing the land as a tourist attraction. The stranger was insistent, even pleading. All he wanted to do, he explained, was to go onto the property and meditate. Tom could see his son grinning to himself and eventually half in amusement at the bizarre request. Tom relented. His son's like $20. Yeah. (laughs) The three of them piled into Tom's diesel truck and headed down into the ranch. After about a mile, the stranger announced that he would like to meditate here near a small pasture surrounded by trees. The stranger walked into the middle of the open ground about 100 yards from the tree line. Tom walked with him a short distance and then stood watching. He glanced back at his still grinning son who had elected to stay by the truck. Tom was about 30 yards from the stranger who had closed his eyes and in a faintly religious gesture had spread both his arms out. Tom was amused. Silence reigned and the late afternoon sun cast a beautiful light on the scene. This tall blonde man standing silently in the middle of the pasture with his eyes closed and his arms raised much like the pose struck by saints and angels in religious paintings. In the distance, Tom heard the sudden chime of a cowbell. Mm. He was puzzled. None of his animals had cowbells. The sound seemed to be coming from deep within the trees. There it was again, nearer this time. The stranger seemed not to have heard it. Tad made a gesture of puzzlement to his dad. Tom looked at the trees and thought he could see a faint blur. Something was moving very quickly between the trees. Tom could not make out the shape, but he knew it was big. Was that the source of the cowbell sound? He watched carefully as the shape moved like a fast blur from tree to tree. It was almost as if it was circling. Tom suddenly felt uneasy. Without warning, something broke from the tree line and moved swiftly toward the meditating man. Tom blinked. He still couldn't see what it was, even though it was broad daylight. It was blurred as if it was hidden in the middle of heat distortion, and it was covering ground at enormous speed. Tom realized that this chimera was making a beeline for this blissful meditator. He was completely unaware of what was rapidly bearing down on him. Tom was about to yell a warning, but it was too late. The shimmering, wraith-like huge thing had stopped just inches from the meditator as it let out a deep-throated animal roar that echoed around the ranch. So was the meditator just still in meditation? It wasn't moving during all this? Right, he didn't see anything, he didn't hear anything until that roar, the roar sounded half like a bear, half like a lion. Tom froze, but the stranger leaped back about 10 feet and fell down. (laughs) He began screaming. As In other words, you know, just, hey man, just wait. Okay. Your your questions will be answered. I just like the kid in the story who's just laughing. He's just like, Laughing, just like, well, I got twenty dollars. He's thinking about how he's going to spend that twenty bucks. Yeah, he is. It's about maybe four or five playboys. As fast as it had, as fast as it had approached, the shimmering, almost invisible creature departed for the tree line at top speed. 
Tom's sharp eyes could make out only a blur of dancing, flickering, waving lines, mm. wavy lines, almost like pixelated blocks. Within seconds, the creature had vanished into the trees. The visitor was on the ground, still screaming hysterically, and Tom hurried over to make sure he had not been injured. Suddenly, the stranger jumped up and threw his arms around Tom, weeping like a baby. He was obviously out of his mind with fear. Tom struggled to extricate himself, but the guy was big and he was uh, possessed of a strength born of blind panic. He simply would not let go. After a few minutes, Tom said quietly, if you do not let go, I'm going to hit you. (laughs) I will let go if you promise to get me to my vehicle, the stranger babbled. His face had turned chalk white and it was obvious he felt the fear of God. Slowly, with the man still hanging on to him, Tom made his way back to the truck. His son started the engine and Tom, with his cargo of blubbering humanity, climbed into the back seat. The stranger swore that this property was cursed and that he would never set foot on it again. Of that, Tom was thankful. They watched as the stranger drove erratically toward the gate. He was driving dangerously fast on the rutted track, and Tom hoped he would slow down once he got on the country road. Tad was still shaken. That roar had penetrated to the very core of their being. It was like being shot with a bullet. Sometime later, as Tom and Tad were watching the movie Predator, in which... Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jesse Ventura battle an alien life form in a jungle in Central America. They let out a yell when they first saw the shimmering creature. That's what we saw, they yelled in unison to the astonished family. Yep. The predator the predator in the movie seemed to seemed to exactly encapsulate the degree of camouflage of what they had seen. Tom calculated that the thing they saw was moving at about fifty and sixty miles per hour when it broke cover from the trees. Again, Tom wondered if his ranch had become a testing ground for advanced military equipment. Now suddenly the list had expanded beyond high-tech aircraft and surgical daring to advanced camouflage technology. But why would some kind of super-tech advanced vehicle emit a roar? Was it possible that a creature could have advanced camouflage capabilities? Like a chameleon taken to the next level. Tom refused to dwell too deeply on what that creature might do if it decided to harm his family. He already knew what the creature was capable of. Mm. Boom. So, to me, the Skinwalker Ranch, just in general, is, I mean, I feel like it's its own thing. I feel like who knows what's going on. Because if you really look into the accounts, and again, here's here's where you take a drink. We will definitely do an episode on, or multiple, on Skinwalker Ranch because it's just, there's so much history and like all this stuff that you're talking about now, this is all stuff that happened before the land was sold to, you know, billionaire Robert Bigelow who kind of shut the whole thing down or didn't shut it down, but he like sort of quarantined everyone off. Nobody could enter it anymore. Um, He set up like, like, you know, put millions and millions of dollars into like surveillance, like cameras everywhere, uh, EMF, like all kinds of like equipment to like gauge this stuff or to like uh, sort of measure this phenomenon. And what's interesting is he did it for like 20 something years, maybe more. Um, and then, and then was like, okay, we've got everything we need. And then mm-hmm. like ended up selling it, but then he refused to, let out any of that information. 
like any of the evidence that he captured over 20 years of like, you know, all that camera footage, all the, you know, whatever stuff, like yeah. tech, it's all sort of locked away and, and nobody will ever see it. Hmm. So I feel like Skinwalker Ranch is definitely its, its own kind of thing. But something that you said, I, I have a really short story. David Politis, the missing four-on-one guy, like we've mentioned, uh, he was on an episode of Coast to Coast AM and Eric from Long Beach called in and here's what he says. What you're describing tonight, especially the woman saying she's seeing something that looked like it was wrapped in saran wrap. That's something that I had seen in the urban city back in early 90s. I was sitting in a car with an older friend of mine and I looked up. I looked at a tree and it looked distorted, you know, in the tree. My friend was looking at it too. And I told my friend, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And he said, I'm looking at the one on the left. That's when I realized there was two of them. And when they focused their vision on us, they had the most bloodshot, red, glowing type eyes. But the one thing I noticed was that they noticed us and it was almost like I could understand what they were saying to each other. And they were in amazement that we were actually able to see them. So long story short, we darted out of there as fast as we could. I mean, it was just our reaction. We were scared, you know, out of our minds. I talked to somebody a couple years later, though, an older guy in the neighborhood about it. And he said, oh, you guys see the tree people. A lot of people for years have been seeing those people around here. They don't have no shape to them. And usually when people have seen them, people in the neighborhood would disappear around that time. Hmm. I think that's really cool. And I don't know, Skinwalker Ranch to me seems very like... Oh, well, there's all kinds of stuff that happens at Skinwalker Ranch that don't kind of match yeah. this, this stuff. But it is interesting in terms of, well, first, that encounter for sure. Mm-hmm. But it almost kind of helps to explain or not necessarily explain, but sort of give some sort of understanding to the things like things disappearing or um, even like the mutilation type stuff that happened to the animals on Skinwalker Ranch Mm -hmm. and them not being able to see a person. Now, again, this is very like almost encapsulated in terms of all of the other crazy stuff that happens there. I mean, literally, just like you said, there's so much that it's kind of overwhelming in a way. I mean, there's giant, you know, beast-like wolf encounters that they oh, have. Oh, yeah. Um, window area type stuff. Peering, you know, orbs. Uh, in fact, this glimmer man or predator style entity um, encounter happens in the chapter about orbs. So just right after that encounter, they start seeing a bunch of orbs and stuff. So hmm. there's all kinds of stuff. I just, I remembered that the second that we you know, kind of talked about, I thought, man, I know is th- there's got to be something, you know, chances are if there's something strange that happens, it probably happened at Skinwalker Ranch. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I think this episode is getting a little long and we definitely want to keep this this train on the track. So we're going to keep going with like some more stories over on the Patreon. If that sounds good to you, head on over to the Rabbit Trail, our Patreon. And that's at Patreon.com slash that would be rad. And feel free to jump on board because it's a little looser. It's a little goose here. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we're going to keep the train on the track. So I think now, uh, instead of getting into any more stories, before we head out of here, why don't we kind of have like a 
conclusion? Why don't we sort of get into like what we believe yeah. is happening? Like what is the Glimmer Man? Uh, yeah, man. I mean, here's the thing. I've been kind of mulling over what I think this is. Mm-hmm. And just like so many of the things that we talk about, the second that I start doing that, kind of a couple things happen. One is everything kind of starts to seem the same in a sense that I can kind of say, maybe maybe, maybe it's everything, Basil. Or mm-hmm. um, I start to see a lot of similarities in other things. We didn't really talk about it much on this episode, and perhaps we will over on the Patreon, but you kind of briefly mentioned it if a listener was was paying attention when we talked about, or when you talked a little bit about like the quality that I think sometimes doesn't get talked about much in this community, but Bigfoot potentially being able to have some sort of cloaking Mm. ability. Mm -hmm. In the book, also on our reading list, Where the Footprints End, um, by Joshua Cutchin and Timothy Renner, Mm -hmm. they actually talk in pretty good depth about this phenomenon a little bit, about Bigfoot kind of disappearing and stuff. So I kind of want, we'll talk about that also over on the Patreon, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And again, it kind of explains situations like how come the footprints end? How come there isn't evidence? How come they just disappear? Why are they so elusive? Well, if they have this type of ability or if you, if, if you can kind of imagine it, the technology to be able to do this, then maybe that's how they're disappearing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought up Bigfoot because I think that I, th- I feel like I've said on the podcast before, but maybe not. You know, my theory on Bigfoot, long story short, is I kind of feel like, okay, maybe maybe there were us and then maybe there was sort of this offshoot, maybe like the like Neanderthal man or whatever. Maybe that was like sort of our cousin, if you will. And so us as humans, the the human age continued down the road of technological advancements, you know, starting with, you know, tools and, and better ways to like trap animals. And, and we became like the apex predator through our higher level of intellect. Whereas our cousins, you know, albeit maybe it's Neanderthal man, maybe it's, I don't know, you know, a lot of people say like Gigantopithecus and North American wood apes and all that stuff. I'm not totally convinced of that, but maybe. But I think whatever the offshoot was, I think they would eventually continue down the path. They're not building homes. They're not that, uh, you know, so they are out in nature. They are 100% like sort of in tune with their surroundings, in tune with like their, their, their own bodies, their own like sort of physical place in the world, you know? And so I think... Mm-hmm. If, if I think maybe along the way, their sort of, I don't know if you want to call them like powers or like abilities or whatever, I think we maybe sort of replace those abilities with technology and with, you know, like advancements and, you know, science and, and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Whereas them, they didn't, they, they're sort of, they sort of leaned more into, Maybe things that we once knew but forgot. So maybe, mm. maybe th- like them being, you know, so, so like unpolluted mentally and I mean even physically. Maybe 
you know, you have like this, uh, you know, there's like a color spectrum or like a wavelength of, of light and color that, well, it's like perceived color. There's like a range which us as humans can see, you know, and it's, uh, it's, you know, it's somewhere kind of in the middle, but we're missing like massive amounts of right. that range that, that we just cannot see. Like the, the, the radiation does not register in our vision. And so I think possibly somewhere along the way, I think they've figured out how to manipulate that or to like sort of bend that. And so that's why mm-hmm. we're not really seeing it. I think they're, I think that's one thing. And then I also think they're able to see a lot of those, that a lot of that spectrum, which we can't. So if I go out in the woods and I set up a, like a, a GoPro or I set up like a trail cam. Trail cam, yeah. It's, it's put, we'll never be able to see it, but it's putting mm-hmm. out uh, a, like its own radiation, its own like waves of, you know, whether like the battery or whatever. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not super technical as far as all that goes, but it's putting out like its own waves, right? And mm-hmm. I like, and I believe even if it's like beyond the edges of like the visible light spectrum of what we can see, I think that's how these Bigfoot or Sasquatch or whatever, I think that's how they're able to completely get around all that. Cause it's like, you know, it's like a video game when you're walking around and it's like, you know, it would show the camera and it shows you like, okay, don't get within this range yeah. or you're going to be spotted. And then the alarm's going to sound. <laughs> yeah. I like think splinter cell. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like metal gear, I think does it a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot like that. And I mm-hmm. think they're able to see it, but also do believe they're able to somewhat like manipulate that. And so saying all that, uh, and I didn't mean to just specifically get into Bigfoot, but saying all that, I think whatever mechanism is happening with with Bigfoot uh, or our cousins that split off, I think it could be a possibility that other things, other, you know, entities, you know, you want to say like extraterrestrials or you want to say um, like fairies or you know, the, the wide gamut of like fringy topics that we love here at the show. Uh, I think whatever's happening and if they're able to, I think they're all just, they're able to do the same thing. So that idea of like the glimmer man being like a cryptid, like this cryptid is called the glimmer man. I don't think mm. so. I think that is just a, a characteristic of something that, yeah. an attribute that a lot of these attribute. things can can commonly they all have that in common yes I, that ability yeah i think it's i think it's just like a, a byproduct now i will mm-hmm. say this and this is something that's kind of interesting too i don't maybe it's not the same mechanism so like how how bigfoot maybe can see beyond and manipulate even possibly that that color range or you know mm-hmm. the, the spectrum whether it's ultraviolet or infrared or, or whatever maybe these other things are able to do the same thing but maybe they're doing it like on like sort of a more i mean i guess more advanced like Mm. dimensional scale so maybe they're like half in half out you know similar to kind of like uh like the stone tape theory with like ghosts how it's sort of they're existing almost like a hologram and our reality but they're they're actually in another reality sort of thing Mm. i mean it gets heady but you know what i mean yeah i mean it's it's weird because again you can kind of see 
you can almost use this in a way as explanations for a lot of different things. I kind of wrote like a yeah. short list of things that when I was thinking about this topic, things that kind of just came to mind that I think would be related. There's the Bigfoot cloaking thing. There's the missing 411. What if there's somebody, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and I'm not even saying this as a cryptid. What if it's literally just humans using this type of technology? But okay, cool. It could be a creature taking these people or luring them away. Uh, and then there's, of course, most recently, I think we talked about it briefly last week. Oh, yeah, I did. This Peruvian uh, Indian village attack yeah. by these like things. And I don't know if you've seen this, but since that's occurred, the sort of government officials over there have said, oh, no, 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 this is just a gang of oh my like robbers who have jetpacks. Jetpacks. Like, Oops. <laughs> I don't know which one's crazy. I don't know which one is more intense. Oh. When you have a go, like, uh-oh, jetpacks? We have thieves with jetpacks in Peru now. Okay. Yeah, you have. And, and then no, it's no, no. like said with just such normality that I'm like. No, no, no. Not just thieves, but miners. So we're talking of thousands of run-of-the-mill. I'm going to get up and be there at working at 5 o'clock in the mine uh, mm-hmm. they all have jetpacks. To me, that's like the, as soon okay. as I read that, I'm so glad you brought that up. As soon as I read that, I immediately thought of like, oh, this is sort of like the modern version of like, oh, well, it's mass hallucination to right. sort of explain to, away To something. me, like we're living in such a crazy time. Yeah. The conspiracies have conspiracies of conspiracies. And so to me, sometimes it just gets annoying. But what I'm saying is, so let's just say, if we can kind of, we can all agree that organizations, we don't have to put the label on governments, but sure, mm-hmm. organizations hide stuff, right? For mm-hmm. whatever reason. If, it, if it's a company, something goes wrong, they're like, oof, let's, let's, let's make that quiet, you know, because they don't want the... So one of two things has happened here. Either the Peruvian government is being completely honest and there's a gang of jetpack thieves. Jetpack miners. insane, right? Yeah. Or they're covering up the fact that there's invisible creatures attacking a city. Mm-hmm. You know, you've only got those two choices here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Both of them are just wild as heck. Well, well, I, you know, I think that again. I still like the, and it's 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 kind of heartbreaking to me because I am such, I'm a kid of like the '80s and '90s, and like UFOs and like ETs and like. Travis Walton and Grays and Communion and all that stuff. Like, I have such a love for all that stuff. But I got to say, man, I do feel like, and I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to Tyler's Conspiracy Corner just yet. But uh, it's, it really saddens me that I feel like a lot of this stuff is not that anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like for all I know we you know mean. these like face I'm saying, yeah, not in agreement, but yes, I know what you mean. Well, I mean it's okay. No, no, no. I'm saying like like dimension stuff, even possible demonic stuff, which I never thought I would think. As a mm-hmm. kid growing up in Blue Creek Baptist Church, never did I think like when they were like, Oh, UFOs are demonic. Like I've laughed at that that uh sort of take on the subject. For years and years. And now I'm sort of like, maybe that is kind of like getting into like the Nephilim stuff and like the, the, like you read 
in in looking for more stuff about the Glimmer Man, I thumbed through some Jacques Vallée stuff, mm-hmm. and you read about these angelic figures yep. that visited humans back in like the 1600s, 1700s, yep. and even before that, 1500s, 1400s. And so you think like, well, putting just a single label on it as demonic, I think is, it doesn't quite hit it. But, but hold on now, okay. the possibility that it includes that, mm-hmm. sure. But I think also, just like we talked about, and one thing that I want to talk about for sure over on the Patreon, and we keep on saying that, this isn't, we didn't come up with this plan to just promote the Patreon like crazy, but one of the yeah. things I want to talk about is like, if you had that ability, if somehow someone was like, hey man, try this jacket on and it made you invisible, mm-hmm. where would you go first? Don't answer now. And that's the show, folks. Well, God, I just feel like there's so much more like, I, let me finish this list real quick. Okay. There's aspects of uh, the whole fairyland yep. folklore and stuff, yep. ghosts, phantoms, shadow people, specters, the watchers, all of this stuff mm-hmm. Yeah, can potentially, there, so there's this guy named Mick Edward Leach, right? He's this American folklorist. He's got publications that date back to, I think, beginning early 1940s into the mid-70s. Mm-hmm. The guy basically just writes books on folklore. I mean, it's... Love it. Incredible, some of the stuff, right? So I found this quote by him, and it says this, all right? Kind, wait, is it kind of like a Passport to Magonia type style? Uh, I haven't read any of his publications, but like some of the titles, I mean, he just dives deep into, I mean, dude, everything. Irish folklore, I mean, Scottish mm. folklore, American folklore, yeah. the origins of everything, Native American stuff. I mean, just everything. Awesome. Listen to this quote. He's defining something. I'll tell you what he's defining after I read it. A type of supernatural being usually invisible sometimes benevolent and helpful sometimes evil and dangerous sometimes just mischievous and whimsical Mm. that dwells on earth in close contact with man and that was his definition of fairies yep pretty cool which uh it's not that far off from Mm -mm. the djinn yep or that's what i'm saying like there's all so many of these things begin to uh, to get connected. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that that's what I was. I'm not saying that everything is demonic. I I, I, I want to clarify. I just want to say that I I like the. I mean, it's kind of like Passport to Magonia, really, where we're you know fairy abductions, and we've talked about it, uh, especially on our older episodes. But you, you know, your fairy abductions, your uh, alien greys, your mm-hmm. All these different things, you know, Shadow Man, Hat Man, like maybe they're all the exact same thing. They're just wearing different masks. Like the original mm-hmm. cover of the book. Yeah, yeah. You know, it shows all these like this these masks for this character. And then you fold the inside and it's like a demon like that's controlling all the masks. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that that's what it is. But I do think, and when I say like demon, I don't, I'm not saying it in the like, Oh, it's this Christian big, biblical sense. Well, I am kind of saying it, it like maybe it does have something to do with this like Nephilim, like f- like the fallen type thing. Not demon in the sense that you've always been taught in like church, but like it's like sort of sitting on your shoulders saying, hey, go steal that candy bar. Like nobody mm-hmm. will ever know. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like, like a true kind of like maybe descendant of like this Nephilim thing. Like, like mm. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, that's the whole show. It's us just saying, 
I don't know. I don't know. It's a possibility, (laughs) but we don't know. Anyway, if you would like to continue on, head over to The Rabbit Trail on Patreon because we definitely are going to be talking more about this. And like what he said, we we did not and have not sort of made it our effort to say like, man, let's really, let's really pump up that Patreon. But I think this conversation needs to continue, but we are currently mm-hmm. almost at two hours. And so that's it. And I've got this article from the 70s entitled Murdered by a Ghost. And it's a true story about this mm. um, colonel. Let me just read this title and subtitle. If this doesn't excite you. Wet your whistle. What we're going to talk about. Yeah, wet your whistle um, of what we're going to talk about over on the Patreon. And it says, Murdered by a Ghost. The colonel emptied his gun at the cowled shape. Then he was bent backward by strangling hands. Mm. Yeah. I, I And it also makes me wonder like okay well how many of these like encounters that like where ghosts are like doing stuff how many Mm -hmm. of these things are just kind of doing the same thing as like whatever the glimmer man is right you know but they had no baseline of like no way of explaining that you know Mm -hmm. anyway if you'd like to say hey and drop us a line head on over to our instagram there's a great little community Jump in the comments. Tell us how great we did. Tell us how bad we did, and we will erase it. If you want to tell us your own local legend or uh, urban legend or paranormal account or encounter, you can shoot us a DM, or if it's more of a long-form essay kind of thing, which we love those too, uh, shoot it over to thatwouldberadpod at gmail.com. Even better than that, we would love to hear you guys and your beautiful voices. So... Tell your own story. Tell your own local legend on our website. That would be radpodcast.com. And, you know, maybe we'll feature that little little story in a future episode. We have a lot of those. And, you know, we're just trying to figure out special times to kind of sprinkle them in. Tell a single friend about the show. It does a world of good for us as well as leaving a five-star review, whether it be on Apple or Whatever your podcatcher is, if you have the ability to leave a five-star review, and uh, yeah, we would love it. We've had several come in recently that have just been so awesome, and it truly does mean the world to us whenever we see this stuff. Because it shows, you know, sometimes it's easy to get sort of bogged down with just the massive amount of work, you know, that it takes to kind of do what we do, and and 90% of it is free, you know, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, It's easy to get bogged down. It's easy to get discouraged. But when we see those five-star reviews and we see those ultra-kind, like, comments, it's just really rad, and we really appreciate it. What, do you got anything else? I think that's it, man. Right on. Well, we love you, we appreciate you, and as always, be rad. That's the way it
time where I just needed some sunshine You were already dead before you became a ghost You always said our future would be a parade of flowers But now all that's left is a single rose That's the way Yeah, so this is around the same year. So in September 2020, or... Hey! Shh! 